Welcome to The Local, brought to you by Fairhaven Wealth Management in partnership with our friends at the Wheaton Chamber of Commerce here in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm Mark Horner, and together with Vicki Austin, we bring you conversations about what's happening with people right around you. Everyone has a story that goes well beyond their day-to-day life. Stories about their history, their passion, their inspirations. All you have to do is look and ask and maybe listen. These stories may be local, but their reach is far and their themes universal. Welcome to The Local. I am Mark Horner, your host, and with me as always is Vicki Austin, my lovely co-host. Vicki, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Mark. And we have a very special guest today, Miss Glenette Tilly-Turner. Glenette, so nice to have you and to meet you. you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming. It took me quite a while to read through some of my pre-show research, but I wanted to share uh, just a couple of observations. Uh, The first is that you were named by a, it looks like a cohort of towns throughout DuPage County as one of, as one of four prominent local figures in the history of DuPage County that is being honored in a Warhol-style painting uh, to be displayed at the Wheaton Public Library. I which, feel very flattered. Which is a remarkable, a remarkable tribute. It is. And may may I just say, Mark, that act, that actually was a project of the Arts, Business, and Culture Committee of the Wheaton Chamber of Commerce. Mm. So it was through our committee, the Arts, Business, and Culture, which is a, a committee of about, oh gosh, almost 15 or 20 arts organizations within and around Wheaton. Uh, the Warhol exhibit that has come to Glen Ellen they had a template for each community to pick four what they called notables, right? So our committee got together and we, Mrs. Turner was one of the first, Barry Erickson, who works at the library, mm-hmm. uh, Wheaton Public Library, recommended uh, Mrs. Turner and hands down, that was one of the four. So the four notables and actually Allison Orr is chair of that committee. So shout out to Allison. And the four notables are? The four notables are, of course, Mrs. Turner, um, Jim Belushi, the actor who uh, is from Wheaton, went to, I think, went to COD. He's got, there's a Jim Belushi theater at the Mac. Jonathan Blanchard, who was the first president of what he had renamed Wheaton College and Margaret Hamilton. So just for the record, it's if I if it sounds like I'm not pronouncing it right, her name was actually Margaret without the R at the N. Mm-hmm. So Margaret Hamilton. She was um, the, our first female mayor here in the city of Wheaton. She also uh, passed a Fair Housing Act two years before the federal courts did. So four amazing people in mm-hmm. and from Wheaton. And so on a very, very short list. Mm, And the other element that I saw was back in February of 2021, you shared with the DuPage County Board, I believe, Mm -hmm. some of your work on the Underground Railroad. And the quote I have here is how becoming aware of this local history can give residents a meaningful sense of place. And when I read that, that resonates loud and clear with the whole purpose of the of the podcast mm-hmm. that we've started, that, mm-hmm. that there's so much there's so much rich history around us that, uh, and I'll speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I only I only recently mm-hmm. found out about a Kentucky Derby winner horse <laughs> being living down the road <laughs> at Dada. Oh, exactly, exactly. Right? I only recently found about mm-hmm. the, found out about that after being in Wheaton for twenty years, and and just the idea that there is so much 
uh, to learn about our very own backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that was really the spirit of the the, the development of the podcast. No, well, it's so, wonderful. So I'd loved I'd love to start. Could you could you share with us some of the comments that you shared with the with the DuPage County Board? Well, I just feel that it's so wonderful to know that when you. Uh, drive down uh, streets here in in this county, like Ogden or or Lake Street or or St. Charles Road, uh, or take the metro train into Chicago or bicycle or hike along the DuPage River, you are retracing the route of the historic Underground Railroad. And I I just think knowing that, you know, just gives the whole added dimension of, of meaning and feeling of connectedness to the history that happened here, uh, and um, so that is how I uh, approached the um, the talk. But when our family moved to Wheaton in 1968, a new neighbor made a chance remark. She told me that she had heard that Wheaton had been part of the Underground Railroad. I had been fascinated by accounts of the Underground Railroad and of Harriet Tubman and other Underground Railroad workers, but I uh, and former uh, enslaved people who had were self-emancipated. Um, but I never knew that the Underground Railroad had operated this far west, and so I kind of questioned my neighbor's claim. Hmm. But I uh, thought, well, you know, I want her to. Check it out and prove she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> Instead, it became your life's work. <laughs> it did become my life's it work. It did. Um, well, that makes me feel much better because I had the same. I had the very same reaction. I, I associate. Well, I associate the Underground Railroad with something that was more East Coast mm-hmm. oriented, not mm-hmm. not not this far, not, not this far west. Mm-hmm. So, where did you start the research to go and prove this well, person wrong? Well, I, I went to the DuPage Historical Museum, and Mar- Margaret Dutton was the uh, curator at that time, and she said, "There's no book on this subject, uh, but there may be some references in these two books." And she gave me a copy of the DuPage County Guide and the uh, federal, the WPA writers. Uh, uh, research. Hmm. Uh, the WPA Writer's Guide, I think it was called. Anyway, uh, when Glenelg, the story of an old town. And there was a one line reference here or a footnote there. And it was, you know, just like uh, throwing a pebble into a puddle of water when I knew just a little bit, you know, oh. it rippled out and I want to know more and more and more. And I'm still searching. And for the youngsters in the group who don't know the WPA, that with the work. Work Progress Projects Administration uh-huh. during the uh-huh. war, right? Yeah. To give people work, or after the Depression. The Depression, After right. the Depression, uh-huh. yeah, mm-hmm. to give people, or during and after the Depression, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so uh, they were writers who were employed by the government mm-hmm. to do research. And, uh-huh. Is that right? The DuPage County Guide, uh-huh. And you were a teacher for many years, so yeah. how did you blend this in with your teaching and then later uh, becoming an author? Well, I uh, always... Um, had been interested in history. My father was president of a very small and very poor college in in Florida. And so he was president by day, but it was a denominational uh, school. 
And so he would drive long distances each evening to pass the collection plate in order to get money to pay the teachers and, you know, and, and buy equipment. And so um, my mother knew that he'd done a day's work before he left home. And she figured that if he sent a chatty, she sent a chatty child along asking <laughs> questions, he'd be more uh, likely to be able to stay awake and, um, as he was driving. So I had those times, you know, to my father oh. all by myself. Oh. And um, he would tell stories of uh, family history. And uh, uh, he was really fascinated with the contributions of African-American inventors. And um, he, like Garrett A. Morgan, who had uh, invented the stoplight. And um, he would end each story the same way, though. He would say, now, when you grow up, you should write this down. And I just thought, that's what I was supposed to do. So Aww. that's how I became a writer. That's great. But my parents were both teachers, and uh, uh, I resisted. You know, I just, you know, didn't want to do that. But when our children were young and asking questions that I couldn't answer, and, you know, they were curious, uh, I just wanted to not only find out for myself, but uh, it really got me interested in in the profession of teaching, and Definitely so not. that's how I got into that. And where did you wonderful. where did you teach here in Whedon? At Longfellow School, for many years, uh, I taught at Longfellow. My first uh, when I was first employed, I taught at Pleasant Hill for uh, a year, and uh, that's when I wrote "Surprise for Mrs. Burns" because the kids gave a surprise party for me, <laughs> and I had a good friend that I had taught with whose name was Mrs. Burns, and so. Um, I, I had taught in Chicago before and Maywood before coming to Wheaton, so uh, even though it was my first year in Wheaton, um, I you know had some teaching experience, and um, so I taught at Pleasant Hill and then went to Longfellow, and. Um, taught there for 19 years. And wrote books at night. Yeah, yeah. And of course, told the children about my research. <laughs> <laughs> and and you are the expert. I know you've been a guest speaker all over about the topic of the Underground Railroad, both at the library and I'm sure in other schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask you if you would share a little bit about um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you presented at City Council mm-hmm. the mayor, Mayor Phil Cease, who has also been on our podcast. I enjoyed I'm hearing happy that to say, interview. Yes, I'm glad you, you liked that. Uh-huh. Um, he asked you to give a, a brief presentation about Juneteenth, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a new national holiday. Mm-hmm. And I was so intrigued with what you shared. Would you sort of in, in, encapsulate that or synopsize it for Mark and and our, our studio audience? Yes. Well, I begin by saying that Juneteenth was the uh, day that the enslaved people in Texas uh, were informed that Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation more than t- two years prior to that. Uh, but it, for them, it was the day that they um, not only could feel that they were free and able to benefit from their own labor, but also hope to have the all the rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Mm. And then I went on to say that Wheaton uh, was kind of a case in point where many in, formerly enslaved Africans and their descendants, you know, really tried to make a life for themselves. Um, they had done, you know, all kinds of work while they were enslaved, but, you know, now that they could benefit from their own labor. They, you know, got busy trying to do that. And um, 
some of the people uh, were, uh, um, well, some of the examples I gave, of some of the two prime examples I gave were of Mr. Ked Sublet, uh, Ked Lewis Sublet, who started a disposal company that served all the businesses and um, city or homes in Wheaton, or many of them at least, and for over 50 years. And um, also there was another uh, business that was started by uh, a man whose name was Thurston Clark, uh, which was an appliance business, and um, it lasted for over, operated for well over 50 years until very recently when his um, nephew, uh, Alfred Snotty, died. Um, But there were, you know, contractors, for example, Mr. Nathan, uh, Nathaniel, Odom, who built our house and who was so multi-talented, uh, we would, uh, my husband and I lived in Maywood at the time, and we would come out to, you know, see the house in progress and say to Mr. Odom, would you ask the plumber to do this or the electrician to do that? And Mr. Odom would just say, mm-hmm. And it turned out Mr. Odom was all of those things, you know, master of all trades, and our house is still standing, and we're still enjoying it very much. Oh. Um, but, but you, were, you uncovered a whole world that uh, really I had never heard of mm, these particular names. Mm-hmm. So the idea that there's a whole business world there mm-hmm. to, as, as president of the chamber, of course, oh, I'm, that's in, right. I'm very business interested is in the, main word. the history of business in Wheaton. Mm-hmm. So we will have to capture that together, too. Oh, that's too. great. That's wonderful. That. My, well, there were caterers and, well, just dressmakers and uh people who did landscaping, you know, you name it, just the whole gamut. And then I also included other people such as Helen Branch, who was the first African-American teacher uh, here, uh, and Mr. Vern Odom, who is the brother of Mr. Nathaniel Odom, uh, was uh, an engineer for the city of of Wheaton. And um, then Charlie Thurston was a a philanthropist and uh, was... uh, really uh, a major leader of, uh, well, those are just some of the examples. Yeah, that was wonderful. You brought brought it to life. I think what inspired me so much was that it wasn't just an overview of like the historic holiday and Mm -hmm. um, it was local and it was very present. You Mm -hmm. made it very present. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. How did you pick Wheaton coming from Maywood? (laughs) We uh, wanted to build a home. Uh, we'd lived in Chicago in an apartment and lived in Maywood in an apartment and wanted to have uh, a yard for the kids. And we went to all the suburbs around Chicago, many of which had um, really res- restrictions on um, either selling or certainly welcoming African-Americans. And um, as it happened when I was in Maywood, I was on a committee, a cotillion committee, and uh, one of the debutantes uh, was the daughter of a caterer, a husband and wife who were caterers here in Wheaton. And uh, so when her parents entertained, we came to the party. And there were all these African-Americans there. And we said, where y'all live? <laughs> and they said, uh, you know, they lived here. And um, many lived in that College Avenue area. And um, they said, as a matter of fact, 
there's a, a, a lot right up at the top of Hill Avenue that's for sale. And uh, so we got busy trying to contact the owner of the lot and purchased it and found Mr. Odom, who built the house. And that's so in your in your research work about the Underground Railroad Railroad, I think you mentioned Glen Allen mm-hmm. as, as well as as well as Wheaton Lombard and Lombard, Wheaton, Downers Grove, uh, you know, so many of the towns. Did that did did your research reveal that the greater Chicago was also involved in the Underground oh, Railroad yeah. or was that just oh, the yeah. western suburbs? No, the greater Chicago. Uh, well, uh, right now, the most viable thing that's happening is the uh, Little Calumet River uh, project, uh, that area around Bobian Woods uh, or in Altgill Gardens, right there near the uh, Calumet River. Um, there's a, a Dutch family, uh, John Tan, who uh, had really been, had had a home and you know, worked with other people in that area to um to you know, assist people who were uh, enslaved and formerly enslaved, and also in Gurnee, uh, the Mother Rudd House and Lake Forest, they're, they're you know, just all around the Chicago area, mm-hmm. and in Chicago too, of course. So how do you? So I've never had the experience personally of of being in a being in a community or try to engage in an economic transaction where somebody's not gonna do business with me because mm-hmm. of because of who I am. Mm-hmm. So I can't relate to that at all, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you put that how do you put that experience down and sort of brush those brush that experience aside, or or do you, or does it take or does it take some time to live with that before you can forgive people for thinking for thinking that way? How do you how do you how do how do you navigate? Well, you just do. You know, it's kind of like the dance of life, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. you. You um, you know find resources that are available and accessible, and uh, you know kind of accentuate the positive or, or go with them and uh, avoid folks who you know don't want your money. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm glad that they did. I know <laughs> that Mark, wouldn't have got that wouldn't have gotten you to Wheaton. And Margaret Hamilton really was ahead of her that's time. That's right. That's right. Uh, so you've heard of redlining, right? Mm-hmm. The redlining yeah. laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what she legislated right here in the city that they right. were that the contracts had to be open and is that is that right, right. it I think was her- really she, very pioneering she worked with the NAACP mm-hmm. and Mr. Odom in addition to being the builder that he was uh, was the person who started the DuPage NAACP right um he had been at, at um Second Baptist and there was a youth group that um they were wanting to treat um, and take roller skating, and uh, they went to a roller skating parlor or, uh, in um, on North Avenue, and the children were turned away. And oh. as a result of that, um, he founded the NAACP here. Here in DuPage mm-hmm. County, yeah. And then later it was uh, Mr. Audley and um, uh, Sid Finley who worked with Margaret Hamilton mm-hmm. to... Uh, uh, really craft that uh, legislation. The Fair Housing mm-hmm. Act, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, this was two years before the federal right. Fair Housing before Act. before Illinois so uh, way or the federal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Illinois yeah, was really or a federal. Mm-hmm. So that was right here in Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Wheaton did that first. For, mm-hmm. before, before the, the state, federal before estate the, or the federal. The federal. Right. Uh-huh. right, to outlaw mm-hmm. the um, 
the redlining, mm-hmm. which is subtle and still to this day, I think mm-hmm. there's a subtle uh, implication of it, but um, Not we, as we have as come a long way. <laughs> right, we have come a long way. With some work to be done yet? I think so. Yeah. Tell us about your books. I have, um, I had the honor, I'll uh, let Mark know, I had the honor of sitting next to Mrs. Turner and Mr. Turner on their 67th <laughs> wedding anniversary. On April at the Fool's Wheaton Day. Public Library, <laughs> on April Fool's Day, right. Uh, at the Wheaton Public Library, there was a local author um, festival mm-hmm. and I got to sit next to you and man, she was selling those books. Boom, yeah, boom, right boom. Then. She yeah. was the most, uh, pro- or probably the most prolific as well as uh, she was, again, Banking some banking some money there. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate um, your writing and have two books now signed for my grandson. Well, Tell you. us about your books. And, and I would love to hear, we would love to hear, um, how is it different to write a children's book than it is the, you know, and, your, uh, your other books that are written for adults? Nah. Well, I, um, as I told you, uh, was inspired by my father to, to write and, um, so the first books that, well, the very first book I published was that surprise for Mrs. Burns. And then um, I had written some short pieces for uh, a children's magazine called Ebony Jr., uh, where I um, did a short biography each month. Well, if I could just interject, my first job out of college was... Uh, uh, and writing advertising copy at Charles A. Stevens in Chicago. Wow. And they said that you should engage the reader by, you know, motivating them to take action. So uh, um, when I wrote the uh, uh, first um, biographies, uh, they were really collective biographies. I, I grouped some of these short pieces that I had written for Ebony Jr. Uh, in to this book to make it a collective biography. But because I was a teacher, uh, I did do-it-yourself skits, you know, where I included do-it-yourself skits so the kids could be involved, you know, really like pretending to be Mary McLeod Bethune and needing to, you know, take uh, berries and dip sticks into them to use them, you know, for ink or um, to, uh, you know, use uh, orange cartons uh, for desks and oh. so forth. <laughs> So to live the story. <laughs> right, to live That's the story. Brilliant. So the first book was called Take a Walk in Their Shoes, and, you know, and that did very well, and it was, you know, really a unique uh, combination of biography and skits that teachers loved. And so my editor said, we got to do another one, and so it was called Following Their Footsteps. So the two books contain 24 biographies of notable African-Americans, some lesser known and some well-known. And then, uh, you know, remembering my father's interest in inventors, I, uh, I, I had always been intrigued with Louis Latimer, who did the improvement on the uh, electric filament. Uh, the, the electric light had been invented, but the problem was to have a long-lasting filament, and otherwise, you know, you just had a little light, and then poof, and, you know, you're in the dark. So um, Latimer uh, did the improvement on that, and uh, worked with, uh, was a, an Edison pioneer for many years. And then Alexander Graham Bell. So I'm sorry, just uh-huh. so I'm following this correctly. Mm-hmm. He, so Latimer uh-huh. took, Addis, took Edison's invention to the next, to the next level well, and improved yeah. on it? 
Yeah, uh, well, yeah, there were a number of people who were working on the electric light, um, and uh, but it really was, it did make the electric light longer lasting mm-hmm. and more practical. And then uh, Latimer, well, he, Latimer was really self-taught, uh, but he uh, and Alexander Graham Bell met, um, and uh, Bell was so impressed with him as a draftsman that he asked him to render the drawings for the uh, telephone. Oh, my gosh. So uh, Louis Latimer, you know, rendered Alexander Graham Bell's, and there, you know, it was competition, you know, if you get to the patent office, uh, or who gets to the patent office first, even if there are two people that have simultaneously come up with the in similar invention, the one that gets there first is the one who gets the patent. And uh, so Latimer, you know, rendered the drawing and it was, you know, accepted. And so Bell is the name we know rather than the other guy. Whoever or, that or was. Another guy, whoever. <laughs> um, how do you do research to find out how the, how the, the sort of the chain of events about Louis Latimer and Alexander Graham Bell talking to each other. Where do you, where do you find all this, the, the, the backstory uh, behind all these developments? I went to the Edison, uh, you know, the Edison Library. The I'm not sure kind of what mm-hmm. it's called there in New Jersey. And there was a young woman, or not very young, but a, a, a woman who had worked there many years that I met. And, you know, she was just so pleased that I was interested in the story. She's an African-American woman, and she, I think, felt that uh, Latimer's story wasn't as widely known as it should be. And uh, um, so she was really very helpful. You know, it's one of these places where you had to wear white gloves and wow. you know, practically leave your birth certificate at the door to <laughs> prove you. So, you know. Like the Smithsonian, you have to have, like, I mean, that's a library, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's essentially mm-hmm. a library. Right. Wow. So the, much of the research was there uh, at the, uh, you know, the Edison uh, Library. And then different other uh papers and books and, and all. And then I had the opportunity to meet Latimer's granddaughter. She was really very helpful, and she was very pleased. Her name um, was Winifred uh, Norman, Latimer Norman. And um, she was just really, you know, so pleased and I so bet. cooperative. And, of course, had, you know, knowledge of, of her grandfather and family stories he was quite a Renaissance man. You know, he wrote poetry, knew many languages. Um, he um, did a lot of work on the uh, electric lighting and, you know, many cities internationally, including Paris. Wow. Um, and uh, so he was just a fascinating man, worked with immigrants who you know, came to New York and, um, did your dad, did your dad read any of your books? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, he, I had had published, uh, back up, uh, I had published to, uh, surprise to Mrs. Burns when my father was still, uh, in his final illness, but he didn't, um, you know, see some of the, the later more substantive ones because surprise to Mrs. Burns was, you know, I just feel kind of just a nice little, you know, children's story, yeah. but uh, didn't have the the sus- sustenance that um, mm-hmm. you know some of the other books have. He's got a love watching <laughs> watching the work that you've done, though. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I've enjoyed it very much. This uh, this is uh, just a stupid question, but why these stories are not are not more widely are not more widely told? 
I think many of them aren't known, yeah. and uh, really, uh, I'm not sure that there is, you know, unanimously broad interest. Uh, well, in I including, declare uh-huh. that interest unanimous. <laughs> Thank right? You. Thank you. We are interested. Thank you. Absolutely, such a contribution. Mm-hmm. So, what other stories in the in the ripples of your work in the under in the underground railroad? What what are some other surprises that you that you learned? And I guess I guess most importantly, did you go and apologize to your neighbor for for, for not, for not, I be, did. For not uh, believing her? Right. Yeah. Yes, her her, name, her yeah. name was Joyce Bryson. Yeah. And, you got to write that wrong. Uh, right. yeah. I, I did. Thank I, you, Joyce. <laughs> Thank you for she inspiring really, Mrs. Turner. She surely did inspire me. Um, but um, uh, well, I've just and throughout my life, I've just had such uh, wonderful coincidental things happening. And um, when I was doing research on the Underground Railroad, I took a, a semester kind of leave of absence, or um, and um, one day I was going in the little jewel here in in Wheaton, and uh, I met a. a African-American mother and her two children. And uh, this one of the children had a T-shirt on that said Florida A&M uh, College at that time. Now it's Florida A&M University. And uh, because our family had lived in Florida, I, you know, asked if they were from Florida and, and all. And uh, really just developed a, a wonderful friendship with a, a friend named Faye Daniels. Uh, being Southern girls, she felt that we shouldn't let children know that grown-ups have first names, so we mm-hmm. called each other Ms. Turner mm-hmm. and Ms. Daniels. But uh, when I, um, after we, you know, became friends, um, she would invite me over for coffee, and uh, so I'd sometimes go to the library and then go to her house, and um, she, it was very, uh Proper, and so she'd say, "Miss Turner, would you have cream or, or sugar in your coffee?" And I'd say yes. And so uh, we talked about the fact that I was interested in this underground railroad research, and um, she said, um, "Well," and I, I found out she'd really been testing me, you know, to find out how serious I was. So she said, "Well." I know a descendant of Harriet Tubman's. Would you like to meet her? And I spilled my cream, coffee, and sugar <laughs> you know, at the very thought of uh, you know, that question. turned out that uh, she, she had lived in Tallahassee, and um, uh, when she was a teenager, she uh, knew uh, a local doctor and his wife who were descendants of Harriet Tubman's and whose mother lived in New Jersey, and and so when the doctor and his wife wanted to go to the New York area, they would hire my friend to babysit, to go with them uh, to and stay at their mother's, the um, husband's mother's house, um, and um, they'd do the town in New York, and Faye would babysit and talk with Mrs. Brickler, who was the great-niece of Harriet Tubman. Gosh. And uh, so then when Mrs. Brickler, well, Mrs. Brickler was the madame of a French, uh, a private uh, French school, uh, or I think it was a a French high school, Mm -hmm. um, 
but uh, she was Madame Brickler. But then when she retired, she went to Tallahassee to be near her son. And so she was living in Tallahassee, and my friend arranged for me to meet her. And it was Mrs. Brickler who told me the stories, um, you know, that you never hear in books about Harriet Tubman, such as the fact that Harriet Tubman loved apples that... um, as an enslaved person, one of her jobs was to pick apples. But, you know, just for control, the slaveholders said that, you know, you could pick, polish, or enslaved people could pick, polish, and wash apples, but not eat them. You know, that was really forbidden fruit. And so one time, uh, Harriet Tubman, you know, just admired this luscious-looking fruit and wondered what it would taste like. And when she thought the coast was clear, uh, that the overseer had you know, gone down to the other end of the orchard, she bit into an apple only to have him whirl around and you know, give her a, a lashing that just tore through her clothes and, mm. you know, and really left scars that lasted the rest of her life. Uh, she couldn't do anything then, but she promised herself two things. One, she's going to have all the apples she wanted, <laughs> and the other was that she was going to be free. So, you know, of course she was. And uh, so that was the basis for the book called An Apple for Harriet Tubman. And that's one one of the ones I have that's mm-hmm. autographed. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So that's another example to me of somebody taking an awful experience like you, I mm-hmm. mean, the, the, that you guys had and, and, and choosing to, choosing. I mean, she could have. Mm-hmm. Harriet Tubman could have associated that experience with I'm never having another apple mm-hmm. ever again. Mm-hmm. And she, and she ch- turned that, chose to turn that into, no, I'm going to free myself mm-hmm. and I'm going to celebrate by eating as many, you know, what apples as I, as I want to. And not only that, she uh, uh, later uh, had a home in Auburn, New York. Uh, she, I, I just didn't want to digress and go into a long story, but uh, Governor Seward and his wife uh, were, you know, really very uh, supportive of Harriet Tubman and, you know, in her work. And, um, Harriet Tubman built a home uh, just in, near Auburn, and she planted all uh, lots of apple trees all <laughs> along the lane from the house to the street. And when the apples were ripe, she'd tell all the neighbors, bring your baskets and, and oh. help yourselves. And so, you know, it was really just forbidden fruit, and yet, you know, it was, you know, a sign of, of freedom and of graciousness because so many of the stories about Harriet Tubman, you know, tell how she carried a gun and... Um, wouldn't uh, let anyone turn back because she knew that would endanger the people mm-hmm. she had rescued. Mm-hmm. And um, but this, I just think, shows, you know, just such a, a gracious uh, side of her. And um, so, you know, that was the result of that chance meeting at, at the Little Jewel here. And uh, Mrs. Brickler, the other thing she used to say that Harriet Tubman used to tell the children, learn, learn all you can, because what you have in your head, no one can ever take Mm -hmm. away. That is so true, isn't Mm -hmm. it? That's why, um, I know this seems like a segue, but when I used to coach people for uh, career coaching, Mm -hmm. I would encourage them to use all of the um, benefits they had at their company for ex, for ongoing training and development mm-hmm. because that's something no matter where you work you take that that's right you take that knowledge mm-hmm. with you you do so that's pretty amazing so you had an interesting to talking about education uh, reading through again the the lengthy uh <laughs> history uh, an interesting path to where you went to college mm-hmm. that 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 came from 
not a great experience right. that led you to a right. that led you to a much better experience. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, uh, I'd gone to West Aurora High School, and West Aurora had a good basketball team, and I knew that uh, they'd be going downstate. We'd be out of school one day when the team went downstate, you know, to hopefully win the state championship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I wrote a local college uh, that I was interested in. I was interested in writing, and so I. Was, uh, going to major in journalism, and I went and um, uh, was on time, and um, went uh, to the director of admissions office, and um, I got there, and the secretary asked me to have a seat. She and I were the only ones in the room, and uh, yet when the um, and the director of admissions was having a conference with someone else. So when he finished that conference and came to the door, he said, I see Miss Tilly isn't here. I was the only other person in the room other mm-hmm. than the secretary. So I, at that moment, I decided this is not school for me. Mm-hmm. And later I was uh, offered a full scholarship to Lake Forest College and gladly accepted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ended up having a literary professor that made quite the, quite the impact on you. Right. Right. How many years ago? How many years ago was that? Married sixty-seven, so <laughs> a little, a few years ago, and you yeah. still remember saying, "quote a quote from your teacher at the top of one of your papers." This is Tilly at her best. Yes, that was great. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, I thought so. I loved it. <laughs> and then graduate school, you went to. to did you go to Goddard? Yes, I did. So that's it was, a famous writing school. Uh, well, it, it was an ex. I was an ex. What do you call it, an external degree? Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, because I was teaching full time and oh. you know married and had a family and so also you did, like an executive I, never, degree. Yeah. Uh, well, it was I mean, the, in external. addition to yeah. right. Yeah. Um, Where is Goddard? I don't know. I'm not familiar uh, with that. Is it Vermont? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up yeah. in Vermont. I've never seen the campus yet. I had hoped to, you know, but I think that I'll scratch it off my bucket list at this point. But, no, uh, it's never too late. Let's go. No. Let's go. Road trip. No. I had a friend that went to Goddard uh, who Is went on right? for an MFA at mm. Iowa Writers Workshops. Mm. It's, a, it's a really good school for My creative own, writing and writing. Really, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And we had meetings at the University of Chicago, local mm-hmm. meetings mm-hmm. with professors. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there was some, you know, teacher-student uh, interaction in addition to, you know, Homework. <laughs> that was pretty progressive back then, wasn't it, to have an external degree like that? I think so. Yeah, because now, you know, there are external and executive degree where you go on the weekends, but mm-hmm. there there weren't a lot of flexible. No, it was in the early days. So. I'm sure because it's writers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you like most about writing? Oh, I just love it. Oh, you know, you meet so many people and you have so many experiences and you can ask nosy questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have an excuse to, to delve. You know, questions your mother said, you know, you should never ask yes. people, you know, their age or, you know, uh, you know, the list of other things that, you know, parents tell you, you know, are not appropriate. But, you know, if you're a writer, you need to know you accurate gotta information. Know. So. Right. you got to know. You can hide behind that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is great. Um, so 
Tell us a little bit about the um, the Martin Luther King breakfast. Mrs. Ms. Turner mm-hmm. has uh, invited me to be part of this Martin Luther King breakfast mm-hmm. committee. Dan Wagner from Inland Real Estate mm-hmm. is helping head it up. Uh, can you share a little bit about that project and how we're bringing that back? Yes. Well, if I could just preface it by saying my father was the first executive director of SCLC, Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Oh my gosh. Daddy had done extensive uh, not only research, but motivation uh, for people to become registered in Baltimore. Uh, During my growing up years, many of the southern states had uh, either, you know, restrictions uh, for African-Americans voting or, well, among the restrictions were... um, questions such as uh, how many bubbles in a bar of soap. And uh, so, of course, no one could, you know, ever pass that type of test. But when my father moved from Florida to Baltimore, he worked for the NAACP there and was the pastor of a church. And um, so uh, Brenda and I were talking about being PKs. (laughs) You're both PKs. Uh, Yeah. And... um, Pastor kids, um, yeah, preacher's kids. <laughs> preacher's Honestly, kids. I got it yeah. wrong. That's preacher's, right. preacher's kids. kids, and that's Brenda McDonald, our beloved administrative yes. assistant that we're talking about. So uh, we we found that we had that in common, but um, my father uh, uh, found that in Baltimore they didn't have that provision or you know those same restrictions. I think they just hadn't thought to add them to the books, and so. Uh, he uh, did so much voter registration, you know, organized the churches and the African American, the Afro American um, newspaper, uh, and uh, that was called the Afro American. And so every Saturday there'd be uh, a picture of Daddy in the paper, you know, with the voter registration club from this church or that church. And so they just got such wonderful results. You know, people were just delighted to just be able to go and sign up to vote and be able to vote. And um, so Ebony Magazine had a story about Baltimore, that vote-getting town. And my father and Dr. King were both Baptist ministers, and I imagine they had met at the National Baptist Convention, or certainly Dr. King had heard about Daddy's work and asked him to become the first uh, executive director of SCLC. And that is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Conference. Uh, As it happened, uh, Dr. King was traveling so much at that time, and the way the bylaws were written for the uh, SCLC, it really meant that um, there are many things that Daddy and uh, Miss Ella Baker, uh, who was there in the office and whose idea it was and who really um, should have been and didn't hesitate to remind my father that she should have been the first executive director. Mm. But I think Dr. King was a bit chauvinistic. Mm-hmm. And, um, Product of his generation. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was, right. you know. Um, felt that a male minister should be the, mm-hmm. the first um, leader. So uh, I give all that background to say how meaningful it was when Dr. King came to DuPage County mm-hmm. um, and, you know, talked about, open housing and the beloved community. And so this is why that conference or that committee that Dan uh, Wagner heads up 
you know, means so very much to me, you know, beyond, you know, all the other obvious um, reasons that mm-hmm. anyone else would have. Um, but uh, they are really had, I think, Dan called the meeting to talk about uh, the initial meeting um, to talk about reestablishing the Martin Luther King breakfast mm-hmm. that had been here at uh, Benedictine when Dr. Carroll was the president and which was discontinued after Dr. King, uh, Dr. Carroll retired. Mm-hmm. And um, it just grew. The minister from um, DuPage AME was there and she said, well, I'm from Atlanta and we didn't just go to the breakfast. We considered uh, Martin Luther King Day a day on rather than a, a day Instead of being a day off where it was just a holiday, you know, where you'd go to the breakfast and go home, you know, that was a day of service. And so then the the conversation expanded and expanded and expanded. And, you know, why just limit it to a day, you know? And so really now they're just doing a year-round planning program where, uh, and everyone read read Dr. King's book called uh, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, Chaos or Community to you know, just talk about his concept of the beloved community. And I think under Dan's leadership, it might happen in DuPage County. <laughs> I think it will. Dan is the gentleman from our casino night, remember? Oh, I know Dan. Oh, yes, or Dan. remember Dan. Yes, yes, he is a bundle of energy. Isn't he, though? He is, and I was so honored to be um, at that service, mm. at the service uh, last weekend. Mm. So what's Dan's vision for the, the for, for that breakfast? To be more than just a one-day-a-year one I think to bring it back or? is the first thing. Right, to bring Bring uh-huh. it back because it had not been. Now, there was also an evening celebration that I was involved in years ago when Tracy Smith Malone was my pastor at Geary mm-hmm. United Methodist, and it was at Wheaton College, mm-hmm. and it was in an interfaith service, mm-hmm. and that is no longer held mm-hmm. either. And then um, the, uh, Gary Wheaton, I mean, Gary, Gary United Methodist. United we had Methodist. It, yeah, we oh, had was, it a couple years uh-huh, ago uh-huh. before COVID, I think. And so the name of Dr. King's book, it's, it's the subtitle is From Chaos to Community? Yeah, where do we go? For, yeah, I think it's chaos. I, th- I think maybe it's reverse chaos or community. Where do we go from here? I, okay. I think it's, uh-huh. yeah, I think the title is Where Do We Go From Here? That feels to me to be able to have been written now. Mm-hmm. What? How, how much? How much progress do you think we do you think we've made from when Dr. King wrote that book? And and I'm not familiar with that book and what he mm-hmm. what he what he talks about. How much progress do you think has been made well, between I, I then and now? That many communities have followed suit, or the example that Margaret Hamilton set in place, you know, with that ordinance, uh, so that. It's more possible for African Americans to, well, not only African Americans, but all people of color, mm-hmm. um, to, you know, purchase property and communities that, you know, th- where they couldn't before. Um, so I'm showing off my lack of my lack of history and knowledge. So that was written around. The, was that writ, that book was written around the same time that you guys were were house hunting? I was just trying to think back. Uh, Dr. King, um, I, I really don't know the copyright date. Uh, we, we, um, my f- Dr. King's first book was called Stride Toward Freedom. And if I may digress, um, 
My father and Dr. King were in Chicago for the National Baptist Convention. It was back when the old Coliseum was in Chicago. And Daddy wanted to go to the conference, and yet uh, he had been charged with trying to sell, uh, promote, you know, Stride Toward Freedom book. So he got my husband and me involved, and um, we... uh, we're at a booth, uh, but the booth was so far away from the entrance door, and I just felt, you know, with this responsibility, you know, we had to be successful in getting people interested in this book. So that's when, I, and being the, you know, the second grade teacher that I was, that I got the idea to cut out big yellow footsteps, um, you know, just the shape of a, you know, shoe, to go from, and I pasted them all the way from the <laughs> entrance door of the Coliseum way to our our. Your uh, table, our table way too. in the back, and uh, <laughs> so that's where the whole footsteps idea uh, <laughs> came from. Um, but um, that is great. The, I, I'm so busy digressing, telling a story. I lost my train of thought of what I was supposed to be talking about. No, not, no, not that is right on. That is right on. The, but I'm, but I'm interested in what you th- in what you think about what the what some of the the, the thoughts that Dr. King talked about in that book that he, that he wrote mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. you know, 40, 40, 50, maybe 60 yeah. years ago and, and the progress that we, the progress that we've made, which has certainly been, there's certainly been, uh, so property being able to purchase mm-hmm. property mm-hmm. just based on your own economic merits, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. a big, a big change, but the work that's still yet to be done oh, that you might have talked so about. Much. Like there are businesses, uh, African-American businesses kind of dotted through DuPage, but uh, really not the number or, or proportionately. There's much more talent than it's being tapped, I mm-hmm. guess is my way of mm-hmm. saying it, you know, which would benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there is, you know, still a lot to to be. Do you be think done. that that the, the the is it one of the fundamental reasons that that talent's not being tapped? Is it's it's overhang of the of 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 the way people thought? Yeah, yeah, it's, that's, many that's, still that's, think. that's all. That it, that's <laughs> all that it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Mm. So how does so how does that get how does that get solved? You tell me. I don't know. <laughs> well, one one way is learn is learning more about the, yes, learning right, more right. about these about these kinds of stories mm-hmm, and the kind mm-hmm. of the kind of contribute. Well, what your what your dad said. You mm-hmm. should write this stuff. Uh-huh. Write this stuff down so and that people can has. people can read it and yeah. and people need to take the time. Speaking for myself, people need to take the time to read it and, right. and become educated about. Just to go back to the Juneteenth example, I was suggesting that. Um, there'd be a street name for this Mr. Sublet who had that disposal yeah. company. And, uh, and Mr. Odom. And, and Mr. Odom, right. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Mr. Thurston, uh, or, or Thur- uh, Mr. Clark's first name was Thurston, but he called his business Thurston. But, um, you know, it would just, I think then for the whole town to know, and for the schools to include, you know, information about uh, people who, you know, who made contributions. And uh, uh, so it's just kind of a a broad, you know, the, the many ways of, of uh, disseminating information. Uh, and um, and that's why I thought your, your Juneteenth presentation was so powerful was because there were specific stories and names. It mm-hmm. wasn't 
just theoretical. Mm-hmm. It was very specific. Mm-hmm. So I think hearing that and, you know, that was on the city channel. Anyone can mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. to uh, wheaton.il.us mm-hmm. and look up June 19th, 2023 city council uh, video. It's mm-hmm. there all videotaped and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. presentation. So that was really yeah. inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. And then get a standing ovation. Just you a wow did get me. a standing yeah. O. She got a standing O and thunderous applause. Oh, that was wonderful. Which leads me to Couldn't a question. Couldn't have been your first. <laughs> no, I'm sure not. <laughs> leads me to another question, which is, and I, I asked you this quite seriously, mm-hmm. are, are you writing a memoir or a, an autobiography to share your own story or no. do I need to do that with you? Cause I'm ready. I'm ready to write that book. Nah, I have another book book or, you know, underground road theme book that will be coming out um, in 2025 uh, with Abrams. Um, but um, I didn't think of writing my own story. Come on, mm-hmm. let me help. Oh. I want to help. Mm-hmm. Give us a sneak peek. What's the what's the 2025 uh, book? It's a, another one of Harriet Tubman's amazing rescues, uh, you know, details of it. But I, I've just been so interested not only in the Underground Railroad here in Illinois, but then I learned, uh, you know, there's many things that happened in Florida where we had lived that were not taught in the, the schools when I was there in Florida. So, um, um I wrote Fort Mose about the first uh, officially sanctioned uh, black settlement in colonial America. And um, then uh, the more recent book is The Man Called Horse, which uh, is about a, a black Seminole chief who, uh, uh, once the Seminoles were forced from Florida, uh, took his people to Mexico for many years and... Uh, or, 20 years, in fact. But then they came back to Texas to defend the, the Texas border, hmm. or, you know, and open it for settlement. So um, that's going to be made into a movie. So, Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. How uh, exciting. So uh, good you things opt- are happening. You optioned it for a movie. How fabulous. <laughs> Who plays the lead? <laughs> to be determined. <laughs> TBD. Uh, Oh my goodness! But um, it's it's just been fun, a, a wonderful journey. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. When we lived in Oklahoma, my husband was curator of the Museum of the Great Plains. Is that so? And um, he did a whole exhibit on buffalo soldier, mm-hmm. soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any historical connection to well, that story? It seems is- that the scouts, the the um, that you know came to defend the border that many of the scouts later became Buffalo soldiers. So there was that continuum. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, the Buffalo soldiers were the African-American, the arm of the Mm -hmm. army, right? Mm -hmm. When it was still segregated. Mm -hmm. Hard for us to believe, but so my dad was a teacher too. He was a professor and his line to me was always, don't just sit there, write something. (laughs) (laughs) We got to do similar advice. (laughs) So we had similar papas. (laughs) But isn't it wonderful to have fathers that inspire, or parents that inspire you and uh, influence you? You know, just think how 
you know, fortunate you, you are to... Very fortunate. He thought we could do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it made you believe maybe you could. Yes. Uh, and you did. <laughs> Puts me here today. Uh-huh. Yeah. What a treasure, Glennette Tilly Turner. She what is. What an absolute and pleasure to visit, to visit with you. Well, thank you. So wonderful to meet you. And thank you very much for all your work. Well, thank and you. And thank you for continuing... West from Maywood to be in to, to be in Wheaton for yeah. these so many these so many years. Man, well, I still we still love Maywood too. So. <laughs> <laughs> really... And thank you for all that you have done through teaching and uh, and sharing your story. And well, we'll get you. we'll get back together about your book. Well, thanks for joining us on another edition of the Local. Help us tell the story of Wheaton. Who do you want to hear from? Send guest ideas to us at fairhavenwealth.com or click the link in the show notes. And be sure to subscribe, review, and rate us on your favorite platform. I'm Mark Horner, and I hope you'll join us next time when we cut another episode of The Local. The Local.